Welcome to Round Hill Radio, the podcast from Round Hill Community Church. On today's episode, we conclude our series on St. Paul and discuss how taking this time to study his letters has taught us the power of reflection and renewal. Enjoy! Welcome to Round Hill Radio. I'm Leslie. And I'm Ed. Good afternoon, Ed. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you for asking. Good. St. Paul. Yes. Our friend. Our friend. This is the last of the series uh, of podcasts on St. Paul, and we've talked about a lot. So what what are we going to finish off with today? I think of this man as my companion. He'll, we'll, we'll never be finished with him. <laughs> um, so yeah, here we are almost at the end of a three-month exploration on the life of St. Paul. That's a little... Unusual to take that much time, I think, especially today in churches. There's often, you know, the message goes from one topic to the next over week to week. And so we've had this, we've had a great opportunity to really explore his life. Um, I thought I might just say something today, actually, about uh, beginnings. So going back to the start of his life, uh, this was a man who, um, the story goes in the book of Acts, that his life was interrupted in a fairly radical way because uh, Jesus kind of knocked him flat. Mm. Um, he saw a, a presence, he heard a voice, he saw a light. And it's interesting what has developed over 2,000 years because of that one event in that man's life. Um, his encounter with Jesus, of course, was an, an encounter with a man who was had died mm -hmm. and was now alive again, the, the same Jesus, but completely different. And uh, so out of, that, out of that event, Paul reconsidered his life. He recalibrated his life. He developed a new goal for it. Mm -hmm. And of course, he became uh, a great spokesperson for this man, Jesus, and what he stood for and what he had experienced of him. Mm -hmm. So the one thing that I thought uh, might be interesting to say is that there is a thread that runs through the Bible. So if we're thinking about all these different threads that seem to run through these books that were created over several thousand period, years of time, mm -hmm. uh, one of them is that God comes into the lives of people as an intrusion, often unexpected, unasked for, maybe unwanted. Mm -hmm. Maybe that was all true of Paul. And, but out of that intrusion comes a blessing. And people develop a new sense of purpose, and vocation. In Paul's case in particular, he becomes this great evangelist for love. And uh, that becomes a very powerful movement, all developed out of that one experience. So, uh, you know, I like to think that in Paul's case, he was knocked flat, experienced an intrusion. We're not all knocked flat, but sometimes we experience intrusions, yeah. moments of grace. <laughs> And then out of that, he started looking for other moments of grace, and then it just sort of built from there. And then he started these little communities that, uh, of Jesus followers, people who oriented their lives in, in his way. So, blessed so, intruder. Blessed intruder. So this is the same Paul. He was called Saul he was before Saul. this, right? So it was sort mm -hmm. of a renewal, uh, not only in life, but in total identity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. that name change signals a powerful... Yeah. transformation, right? Mm -hmm. Right at the deepest part of our lives. Mm -hmm. 
And that un, uh, that in you know that unwelcome intrusion makes you think you know even if we're not not flat sometimes sometimes it feels like we're not mm. knocked mm-hmm. flat and and how we rebuild from there yeah yeah I think so and I think also some, I mean only speaking for myself but when I think in those moments where you just go kaposh mm. that was a sound effect for you not <laughs> flat by the way powerful <laughs> thank you thank you I think it. it it, it recalibrates you. Mm-hmm. It recalibrates how you interact with the world, mm-hmm. I think. I think that um, when we think about our lives and consider how God is involved in our lives, one way to do that is to ask the question and look back on the prior day or look back on the prior week and, ask the, and just ask the question, how did I experience grace? Mm. What, was there something that someone said or was there something that I saw uh, or a word that I heard that caught me unawares? And when I ask people that question, sometimes they will mention something that was, uh, I would say, a pleasant intrusion. Mm-hmm. It might have been the sunset they weren't expecting to see or a wild animal suddenly running across the backyard. Um, sometimes, though, people will say that the grace started out of something that was unpleasant and caught their attention and then sort of prompted them to go more deeply into a situation Mm -hmm. and explore it. And I think one of the things that Paul does in his letters, which has made them such a wonderful record of the spiritual life, is that he often takes little moments. Sometimes they're controversial, they're not always little, but he'll take a controversy in a church or something that he has said or an encounter, and then he'll develop that a little bit and ask the question, what in the world is God doing through that? And that's a beautiful question and leads into an ever-deepening sense of mystery about what's happening at the heart of the world. I think there's a big challenge in recognizing those moments in the moment. I think taking that, as you were saying, taking that moment to reflect Mm -hmm. back on the day or back on the week or whatever, that can start to uh, help us to recognize them in the moment. Mm -hmm. I think that's maybe one of the hardest things. But that moment of reflection, that idea of taking time, Mm -hmm. which I think we talked about last week and and you talked about, you know, the how how special and what a sort of treasured thing it is to take time hmm. in in studying something or in recognizing the the moments that we might not have recognized mm-hmm. at that time i think uh, we live in a culture where people are experience rich but reflection poor mm-hmm. and so we're always having really uh, rich experiences but often don't take that little bit of extra time just to look back and ask, what was that all about? What did I learn from that? Uh, in, the, in the experiences that I've had of um, camping with youth over the years, particularly in summer Christian camps, uh, there's sort of a ritual. I, I would say that it is a ritual that's very common among those camps, and that is that at the end of the day, usually the counselors will gather with small groups of youth, and they'll say, "So look back on the day. You know, what were the high times? What were the low times? And what did you learn from that?" It's um, it may sound simple, but I think it's a pretty profound thing to do, and it's a good discipline to keep right through life. And I think again, this is what. Paul was able to do in his life. And that one moment in which he was um, literally knocked flat became so powerful for him because he probed it. I mean, he was probed by it. He heard this voice saying, why are you persecuting me? 
And this becomes his first encounter with Jesus. As far as we know, he didn't, he may not have known any of Jesus' parables. Um, we don't know what encounter he had with other Jesus' followers. But out of that one moment, he founded uh, congregations and gatherings that then coalesced into a movement. 300 years after that, it becomes the official religion of the Roman Empire. So, Same thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite a story. It's an amazing story. It really is. I was also thinking, uh, Leslie, about the way that this man um, who lived 2,000 years ago is still with us. And I, I, how is his voice, you know, still part of our lives? And I, I thought of a few things. A lot of times uh, ministers will often get into the habit of signing a letter, especially to a congregation, grace and peace. Mm. And that's directly from Paul. Paul opened his letters quite often by using the Greek word for grace and the Greek word for peace. And that was just part of the way that he opened himself. Uh, sometimes I think he was doing it strategically because he knew he was getting into some real ah. hot water. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's but always nice first. to start off in a good way. Let's sort of smooth the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, grace and peace to you. Then he lets him have it about, you know, 10 verses into the letter. That's all right. But that's, that's still with us. Uh, I, recently I heard somebody say, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about you. Um, I will hold you in my heart. Mm. And actually, there's a phrase in one of Paul's letters where he says to one of these congregations, I think it's the church in Philippi, you hold me in your heart. Mm. And he's very encouraged by that. You can actually see through these writings, he depends on them a lot. And he knows that, you know, they depend on him. Uh, Of course, 1 Corinthians 13 is the great wedding chapter, right, used over and over again. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Mm-hmm. Um, that's Paul, who who would have known that, uh, I'm sure, he probably comes to surprise to him that what he wrote 2,000 years ago, basically as a sort of, of a call for a church that wasn't very loving mm-hmm. to become more loving, now these are the words that are used at weddings. Right. So still right. there. Um, and I think one thing also, we people still talk about their church family or their church as their family. Mm-hmm. And I think that's directly related to Paul, who often say, speaks of people as brothers and sisters in the faith. He loves that language, uses mm-hmm. it all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know what his family situation was, but maybe he was intentionally recreating in these congregations in a very brutal world mm-hmm. a sense of warmth and familial kinship that uh, would help these people to... Be faithful. That's a lot to um, take from one, I guess not disciple, a follower. Mm-hmm. A follower, an early Christian leader. Leader. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. That's a lot. I mean, to think uh, 2,000 years from now, I'm trying to think of, you know, what what have I said that might still be around? <laughs> That's a little. That's a lot of pressure to put on yourself. That's a lot of pressure. That's a very humbling thought. I try not to think about it a whole lot. That's probably good. That's probably good. Do you think Paul was thinking about it? You know, uh, that's a great question because I think sometimes he comes across as someone who has enormous confidence in himself, and uh, he he consistently sees God as the catalyst for action, Mm -hmm. and yet he will on occasion say in his letters, "Imitate me." Yeah. Now, if I said imitate me, <laughs> I'm not sure where how far that would get anyone. But uh, here's a person who's saying, basically, imitate me because I'm imitating God. But still, that's a pretty self-assured thing that's to say. That's thing to say, yeah. yeah. I'll say self-assured. That's a positive way of putting it, right? But yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Put 
that's been. Uh. No, I think so. And I think, you know, you're also the kind of person that says, imitate God. <laughs> imitate Jesus. <laughs> it's what we like about you. We try to keep the direction going, right, towards mm. the right focus. Mm. Um, I, I think one other thing that I would say about him, maybe this is uh, the thing that most uh, has inspired me as I've gone over these three months. Paul had great love for his congregations. And I, I, I don't want to say his congregations. I really should be saying these communities that were founded as Jesus followers, because not all of them were founded by him, mm-hmm. but he was very much a part of them and they were very much a part of him. But he was uh, someone who I think really genuinely loved these people. Uh, his emotions boil over all, all over the place. He can be very angry. He can be grief-stricken. Uh, it, you get the sense that they break his heart. You get mm-hmm. the sense that he makes them really angry. Um, as one person said, you know, we, we see Paul or we hear Paul shouting at someone, but we can't hear what they're shouting back. <laughs> That's true. But they're definitely shouting matches. Yeah. And and yet those congregations did thrive enough so that the movement could grow from town to town. And he was very strategic about how he did this. He went to urban centers and he knew that they were great connecting places and that the movement, I think, would be likely to grow there. So I just have this great sense that this person was not, you know, in these letters, he just wasn't doing damage control. Yeah. He really had uh, care for them and great tenderness. And he wanted, sometimes he wanted to reassure them. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he wanted to challenge them. Sometimes he wanted to encourage them. But those are all the faces of love. Sounds like a very parental relationship. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. You know, I haven't really heard that said of Paul, but I think that's a great image. He sees himself, right, as that spiritual parent, a spiritual director. And um, I suppose then, like a parent, he also sees these uh, spiritual children running all over the place sometimes and yep. just trying to corral them. Yep. And uh, maybe he's not always that successful. Um, but I do, I'm very, very touched by the way that he has this strong warmth and feeling for these people and he really wants them to have the Christ consciousness he wants them to see the world through the eyes of Christ he wants them to respond with that kind of love Mm -hmm. and uh, he wants them to be as connected with God as I think he thought he was yeah so so those are for me a lot of the takeaways after having looked at this man for the last three months. Um, He's really going to live with me in a lot of ways. One thing I have been curious about is, you know, we started talking about this, I don't know, six months ago. And you were saying about, you were telling me about how Paul has been perceived and how different writings of Paul have been used and how Paul's opinion on things has evolved. has your approach to that changed? What about that um, is the same? What's, what's evolved? I was really helped uh, when I started to do some background reading about Paul. I was really helped in particular uh, by a book by Marcus Borg and John Dominic Crossan, who really try to recapture a sense of Paul as a radical visionary. And one thing they talk about in their book that I found very helpful, and I've tried to share this with others, that in some ways there are 
at least three different Pauls in the New Testament. And there is the Paul who is, in a sense, uh, the, the radical visionary. And that Paul comes through the seven letters that are attributed to him. And that's where you see him talking about equality. He's a great advocate for women. Um, he's very aware of the impoverished of the first uh, offering that's maybe one of the first offerings received by uh, Christian gatherings on behalf of other Christian gatherings is just that, a way to sort of bolster the spirits of the poor. And um, so you see all of that in those seven writings. Then there's another layer of writings, probably written 10, 15, 20 years after that initial seven, and where you start to get more of a, a conservatism that starts to come into play. And now we're starting to hear that women can only occupy a certain role in the life of the church. So some of that equality is now changing. If Jesus and Paul were radical in the sense of their vision of a, of a community that was flattened out, where leadership was dispersed equally, that starts to change in the life of the church. And then there's a third level where Paul now suddenly comes across as someone who's reactionary. And now we have some very carefully delineated roles. And no longer do we see Paul as someone who's a strong advocate of a slave or um, as he was in the little letter to Philemon where he reaches out to a slaveholder and essentially asks him to liberate this slave who's become a friend of Paul. So that for me was very helpful. That reading through them, this is why I think it's important to have the some of the scholarship in the in play in congregational life because otherwise we look at all of these letters in the new testament we think they're all written by paul and that's not true and we think they're all essentially saying the same thing which they're not and so we can appreciate these layers of tradition it's a little disheartening to think that we go in the wrong way i mean yeah. we sort of head in the wrong direction in some ways so we have to recapture some of that initial vision do do scholars have opinions on what changed for Paul? I don't think it's Paul who changed. I think what happened is that those who came after him wrote letters in his name. Oh, I see. And I think that um, what happens is that the church once again starts to model the Roman culture. Mm -hmm. as, as opposed to being a counter-movement in the culture mm -hmm. where women are highly regarded and where institutions of, of enslavement are being broken down, uh, suddenly we see that that begins to change. The movement becomes uh, conservative. So let me just make sure I'm understanding. So the, they think that the later letters mm -hmm. specifically were not Paul. That's correct. So when we're talking about Paul, we're talking about early every, love for everybody, Paul. That's correct. Um, mm -hmm. What about sort of the second second wave. What, do we know? I mean, I know a lot of this is gets lost to history. Yeah, I think that uh, scholars feel that the letter to the Colossians and the letter to the Ephesians comes in as a second layer. Mm -hmm. And there are still, there are themes there that sound like they could certainly have come from the mind and the heart of Paul. But again, you start to see a kind of um, social division mm -hmm. creeping in that doesn't, doesn't seem like the original Paul. And then that becomes even more strengthened in the third vision, which is even more reactionary. Yeah. And so that's sort of where Paul got a bad rap. I think that's right. Yeah. 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 And that, uh, that has continued, of course, across the centuries. You know, the interesting thing is that when people pick up the Bible, my sense is that, and, and certainly people over the years have told me if they read through all those letters, they will notice themselves. You know, 
these letters seem different than those letters. Mm -hmm. And that's all that scholars will notice initially. They'll say, why is that? That doesn't seem, they don't seem to line up with one another. Mm -hmm. And then they will ask more and more questions. Then they'll start taking a really close look at the vocabulary and they'll notice, well, this is interesting. Now Paul's using letters in this third layer that he never uses in the first. Why is that? Mm -hmm. So it's likely because someone else is writing those letters, yeah. um, but they're assigning Paul's name to it. So you have to be a bit of a detective. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was, actually, when I was in seminary, one of my New Testament professors said, you know, I recommend that everybody develop a really healthy obsession with detective novels, <laughs> because this is one way to understand the mysteries in all of these texts. I really like that. That's really good. I like that a lot. And the idea that you're not taking everything at face value. Exactly. And that's such a great message for everybody approaching these texts, right? That yeah. you just take them, really listen to what's there and ask, you know, if we ask our own questions and listen carefully, we'll start to see these differences. And then we can start to probe a little bit more deeply and bring in a scholar or two or bring in another book or two. And then things eventually start to develop a little bit of an understanding of what's going on having the luxury and taking the luxury of taking the time. Exactly. Yeah. That Keeps coming back. Tied that together Beautifully so done. So Ed, do you have a final thought from your months with your friend Paul? Well, I guess I have to come back to that wonderful part of his letter to the Corinthians that is in fact read at weddings over and over and over again. Uh, he says that at the end of that, and now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, and the greatest of these is love. And I think for Paul, every time we set out to be more loving, we're on a voyage of discovery. We're, we don't do it alone. Um, it's done with God. It's done with a community of people. But love is really the greatest adventure of all. Love above everything. Above everything. Thank you, Fred. Thank you. Thanks so much. This concludes our uh, podcast series on St. Paul, and we will be back next week. You can find us uh, new episodes every Wednesday on SoundCloud, iTunes, and roundhillcommunitychurch.org. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Round Hill Radio is brought to you by the members and friends of Round Hill Community Church. You can find more episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and roundhillcommunitychurch.org.